Welcome to Sliding Doors, the podcast that delves into the decisions and moments that shape our lives. I am Jenny Becker, and throughout my life, career and relationships, I've always been fascinated with the notion that everything happens for a reason, alongside my love for the 90s movie classic, Sliding Doors. Have you ever really thought about those moments that shaped your life? Those decisions that could have gone either way in the opportunities presented to you? What if you had taken that job? or told that person in high school how much you liked them. Each episode, I will talk to some amazing people from all walks of life and chat about their sliding doors moments. We will reflect on how a decisional moment changed the course of their lives and how things might have looked if they had never happened. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. This week's episode is a little bit different than usual. To celebrate the 25th anniversary of the film we all love, Sliding Doors, and to mark the 160th anniversary of The Tube, the world's first and most famous, we have come together to bring you an exclusive podcast episode. And if you haven't already yet, please make sure you listen to Sliding Doors 25 docu-podcast series, all about the film with some very special guests. So we reached out to TFL staff, customers and the general public to find out some amazing sliding doors moments that you've all had in your lives. And we put together some of our favourites and curated a compilation episode. We will be hearing from eight different people all about their own sliding doors moments and decisions and what might have been if they had never happened. First up, we have Andy Lord, Commissioner of TFL. Andy joined TFL in November 2019 as Managing Director of London Underground. In his career, he has taken on roles across engineering, operations and customer service, culminating as Director of Operations and Member Executive Leadership Team for over seven years. And he is joined by Leslie, a train instructor and operator based in Harrow-on-the-Hill. She trains new train drivers and also drives the London Underground Metropolitan Line trains. Uh, Hi Jenny, I'm uh, Commissioner of Transport for London, so basically that means I'm Group Chief Executive for the whole of uh, London's transport network. Andy, I'm going to start with you. And I mean, your role sounds extremely overwhelming. So what does a day in the life of Andy look like? 
Oh, crikey. Well, the, the great thing about this job is that actually every day is quite different. Um, I mean, also primary responsibility is the oversight of all the services that TfL provides. So that's all the rail services, you know, the, the tube that Leslie and her colleagues do such an amazing job for every day, the overground, the Docklands Light Railway, the London Trams, our strategic road network. So we're responsible for uh, all of the buses in London, plus all of the traffic lights, a little-known uh, fact. Wow. Um, licensing and regulation of all taxis uh, and private hire vehicles in London, uh, the river piers and uh, the cable car. So uh, that's the operational oversight, and then obviously uh, more strategically responsible for leading TfL, going forward reporting to the TfL board, uh, and ultimately the Greater London Assembly and the Mayor. Amazing. I mean, that's so many things to look after in one day. And it's actually, it's so nice that all your days are different. And do you have a favourite part to your job? Oh, um, I'm not sure I'm allowed to say that without upsetting a, a large <laughs> portion of our uh, our colleagues. I mean, I, I do have a soft spot for the Tube because I joined TfL as, the, as Managing Director uh, for the Tube back in November 19. Uh, I first used the Tube as a, as a young lad when I came down to visit London when I was about uh, six or seven years old and, and hopped on the Piccadilly line uh, at King's Cross St Pancras. The trains were quite new and modern then and <laughs> those same trains are still doing a sterling service for us yeah. uh, today. So, But no, I think you know the whole of uh, all the services we operate, uh, but most importantly the people in TfL mm. are just amazing uh, and do amazing things every day uh, and I'm so proud to lead them. And it seems like there's such a nice culture everyone that works at TfL and you know, you said you got on the tube when you were younger and, you know, you're now looking after so much to do with the tube. What were your aspirations when you were younger? What did you want to be? Uh, I always wanted to be an airline pilot. Ah. Um, a typical young boy's dream. Um, but uh, it didn't work out that way. I did end up working in aviation for nearly 30 years before I joined TfL. Uh, but, yeah, that was that was always the, uh, the young boy's, schoolboy's dream. That's so brilliant. And we know that this year is the 160th anniversary of the Tube. Are you kind of really excited for everything that you've got going on? Oh, yeah. it's. I mean, it's an absolutely massive uh, year for the organisation. It's such an exciting time. Uh, you know, it was great to be uh, at Baker Street with the Mayor on the actual 160th anniversary of the first trains running from uh, Paddington to, to Farringdon. And to think that some of that original infrastructure is still in use today, uh, it's quite remarkable, you know, Leslie will drive her trains through uh, some of that infrastructure, um, you know, and, and it's such a big year for us. It's a massive opportunity for us to use it to engage with our colleagues across the organisation, uh, celebrate the, the impact that the Tube has had on London's history and heritage, yeah. uh, and of course the innovation that, that the, the organisation has delivered over the years and will continue to do so. And you just have to look at, you know, the Elizabeth Line actually retraces uh, that same journey, uh, albeit through a new route. Um, yeah. and there we are now with uh, the busiest railway in the in the country, which is a remarkable achievement, you know, 12 months after it opened or nearly 12 months after it opened. Yeah, it's incredible because the Tube really is the whole ecosystem to London and the fact that it's 160 years old is just amazing. And how is TfL celebrating this throughout the year? So what are some of the, the things that you're doing throughout the year to celebrate the anniversary? Um, so we've got a number of events. We've got a lot of, a lot of colleague events uh, throughout the year, but we're also doing a lot to engage with um, the public and, and enthusiasts. Um, some some events still to be announced. Um, I'm hoping we'll be able to uh, get one of our old steam trains running uh, on the north end of the Metropolitan Line. Uh, details of that still to be confirmed. That's always very popular. It was done for the 150th anniversary because we've 
uh, upgraded the signalling now. We can't take it all the way into uh, the centre of town anymore. Um, we've done treasure hunts uh, around the network for families, uh, opportunities for youngsters to get involved and celebrate the tube's history, and doing a lot of work with our supply chain partners and, and stakeholders around marking the occasion. So there's a whole series of events. We haven't announced them all yet because we're trying mm -hmm. to stagger it across yeah. the months. Um, but there's a really great buzz uh, around uh, what is a really re remarkable milestone. I can't wait to see what's going to go on throughout the rest of the year. And, and Leslie, we'll go on to talking to you. So you're on the ground, you're driving the trains, you've been up this morning since like three in the morning before having a shift. Um, so thank you for joining us today. So was being an underground like tube driver, train driver, something that you were interested in from a young age? No, I was a pastry chef, baker, confectioner. That's my qualification. Wow. Um, so I went to college studied for two years, got told that women cannot be bakers because we can't lift the trays. And that was only 1980. Oh my so gosh. times have changed massively, yeah. I'm glad to say. Um, but I went on and got my first job. And my first job, I was making handmade chocolates. I was a chocolatier. Ah, and I what a great job. Oh, it's brilliant, absolutely brilliant. And then I moved from there, I moved to um, an outside catering company where I became the head of the cake department. So I used to make all the wedding cakes, birthday cakes. I still love baking. Um, and I did that right up until I was 42. So I was very late coming into London Underground. Yeah. And, um, massive, massive change for me, which I thoroughly enjoyed. Um, but I went from making something every day under a lot of pressure Mm -hmm. to what I considered not really doing much. I was customer service, so I was talking to people all day long, talking, telling them where, where they could go, how they could buy a ticket, um, all the places of interest around London, which, to be perfectly honest, I didn't really know London at all. But you mm -hmm. soon learn it, you soon get to know it. Um, and I worked at Piccadilly Circus. They really, really enjoyed it. I made lots of good friends there, and I learned a lot about the job. Yeah. you know, being on the ground. And I guess that's like probably the beauty of a lot of um, train drivers is, is that they've all come from very different careers and that you, you know, you probably learn so much from each other and it's probably so interesting to work with so many different people that have had so much experience. But as Andy said, you know, going through some of the tunnels, I'm absolutely amazed at the engineering, you know, how long it's been there and it's still standing. Yeah. And to imagine it was all dug by hand, you know, exactly. a, lot of, well, a lot of it was dug by hand and you think, wow, how amazing, how amazing. And I quite often drive through and I'm looking and I'm thinking, I wonder, the, wonder what, the, what the story was behind the people yeah. that made this. I would, I would love to know, would love to know. It's amazing. And yeah, yeah, you don't think about it from a driver's perspective because all you see is what's in front of you. You yeah. don't see all the people behind you. I'd love you to drive me on a tube. You sound like the best tube driver. Well, you will have to come on the front and have a ride. I will, don't because you worry. Because we do do that. We do, give, we do allow passenger. Yesterday, you were asking me yesterday, I took um, a little boy, he's uh, special needs, so he got permission to come on the front of the train. Oh. He was absolutely fantastic. What a lovely boy. Oh, and I bet see just the look on his face. And I said, you know, would you like to make an announcement? And he was like, oh, 
Oh. The best announcements. Well, it's like dreams come true for kids. Yes, yeah, yeah. And it's lovely to be able to, again, facilitate that. Um, yeah, real pleasure, real pleasure. Amazing. Well, I love the passion you have for your job. And as, as kind of Andy said, it really cements the culture that you have at TFL and kind of the people that work there. And I want to start to talk a little bit about Sliding Doors. So obviously it's Sliding Doors 25th year anniversary this year of the film. Um, and we all know that the tube is such a major part of the concept. Um, and the Sliding Doors of, of, you know, the tube is really where the theory cemented. It brings the theory to life. Gwyneth Paltrow is running down the steps. She misses the train. She catches the train. And it all derived from a sliding doors moment that Peter had, who wrote and directed it, when he had a sliding doors moment and then he got on the tube and just thought, those seconds before you miss and you catch the tube. Um, so they happen every single day on the London Underground. And I'd love to start by asking you both, and Andy, I'll start with you. What do you believe in when it comes to the sliding doors theory? So the theory of fate, timing, coincidence, that one second that can change everything, because so many moments as well do happen on the tube. Look, I, I'm I'm a strong believer in it. I I do believe in fate. I, I do believe there are those split seconds, either consciously or subconsciously, where uh, you know a decision is either made for you or you make one yourself. And you know it's like getting to a fork in the road, isn't it? And deciding to go left or right. Um, so yeah, I I subscribe to it. I um, I remember going to watch the film. Um, that's how old I am. Um, and. Uh, you know, you can relate to it, can't you? I mm-hmm. can't necessarily relate to what happened to her as a character, yeah. quickly. Um, but um, I think that, that, as you say, I think in most days uh, there are occasions where you make a decision or a decision is made on your behalf where, you know, it results in an outcome that otherwise could have been a, a, a different one. So, yeah, totally subscribe to it, to be honest. Definitely. And we all have had those moments where we run to catch a tube and the doors just shut or or vice versa. And I think what's incredible as well is, is the term sliding doors never existed before the film. So I think what I love and why I've so, been so excited to bring everything together for the 25th anniversary is to kind of talk about it. Remember kind of filming on the London Underground and the sliding doors and the thing that we see every day. And, and Leslie, what about you? What do you believe in with the sliding doors theory? Absolutely, 100%. Everything... It's fate. Everything is fate. Everything happens for a reason. Um, massive believer in that. And obviously seeing it from the point of view of actually being on a train and and seeing it from both sides, being on the station where there's been those moments where the doors have shut and I've seen it and it's like, stop, stop. But there are other moments where things happen where people aren't meant to get on the train. I see it all the time and all the way through my life. I've had lots of sliding door moments personally as well. So, yes, yeah. Oh, no, that's so great. And, you know, there's so many moments that I've heard where people have found the loves of their life on the tube, on a platform. And again, you just never know where it's going to lead you in a day. And, And Andy, do you have any sliding doors moments that stand out to you from your life? Um... So it's really interesting. I've been thinking about this quite a lot. And I don't know if it counts as a sliding door moment, but I'll, I'll try and see what try you think. Try me. Um, so uh, when I was 18 and I was uh, applying to go to university, as I said, I wanted to be an airline pilot. Um, but I was given advice to, you know, if I could go to university and do engineering, which I had a passion for. Um, but my teacher at school said, look, you're, you're, I was a single parent family. My mother wouldn't be able to afford university. So you should apply for sponsorship. So I applied to British Airways for sponsorship, engineering and pilot. 
uh, training and put both uh, submissions in uh, and then got written back to saying that I'd been unsuccessful um, for the pilot and successful applications being taken forward by British Airways because they'd noticed I'd applied for two two positions in the company which I wasn't allowed to do and it broke their rules so uh-huh. they they checked my applications and I dated I remember filling the engineering one in on a Saturday and the pilot one on the Sunday but stuck them both in the post on the Monday um, because the engineering one was dated Saturday British Airways made the decision that I'd go down the engineering route rather than the pilot route and um, wow. you know, if I'd done those the other way around and which is bizarre considering as I said earlier it was the pilot I always wanted to be um, who knows I might have been a pilot now I wouldn't be doing this job or, or anything yeah. else but I, I, it's not really a sliding doors moment in that that sense but it's definitely a a decision you know an unconscious decision yeah. by me that led to somebody else making a decision on my behalf if you like that's probably set my whole career journey down the route that it has no that's a great sliding doors moment because yes as you say you've not you didn't get on and off of something and the doors didn't move in front of you however the fact that as you say unconsciously you doing something on a specific date a specific time as you say you didn't do them in the order for any specific reason it was probably just unconscious and it that 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 kind of one pinpoint postage or date on on an application paved the whole path of kind of where you went in your career and do you ever think about if it had have been the other way around yeah certainly when I was at BA I did remember when I when I left BA in 2015 in my leaving speech um, I made reference to you know having been at BA for 26 years I still couldn't believe that the HR department was so efficient to <laughs> to work out that a I'd put in two applications and b that they checked the date of them both yeah um, so which didn't go down particularly well with the HR director at the time, but but nonetheless, you know, I I do think about that because I, I have a passion for aviation and transport anyway. So you think, you know, what if? Mm-hmm. But you know, I'm I'm very very fortunate. I've had a, a fantastic career. I I I love the job that I do. Uh, I can genuinely say I've never had a job I've not enjoyed, and there aren't many people who can say that. I think you know you can hear Definitely. Leslie's passion in in what she does. Yeah. Um, I think you have to be a very certain person to work in transport and you know do the do the hours that that Leslie does and many other colleagues do, which I've done in the past. But I think yeah, actually I'm very happy with how it worked out. But it's quite interesting. Of course, it was a subconscious decision, if you like. Definitely. And I think it just shows that sometimes some things are just meant to be and that's kind of how we have to believe in it. And I think a lot of people have had those times when you can retrospectively look back and really see how, you know, sliding doors can be a moment or a decision that you make. And I think it just opens up our eyes to knowing that, you know, throughout the day, any decision that we make or anything that we do can really be something that kind of pushes us on for a long time with our career or our life so that's a great sliding doors moment so now I'll accept that one um and Leslie so you have a brilliant sliding doors moment because you said before that you're a pastry chef um and then you became a tube driver so do you want to explain kind of how this was such a big sliding doors moment in your life so it was a a point of my life personally where I had to make a, a decision to um go one way rather than the other and uh it was a split personally So my granddad used to be a train driver on the steam trains back in the 1800s. Oh, my gosh. And um, I'd always always looked up to him and thought, wow, how fantastic. And I had this moment where I thought, you know, this has got to change. My position has got to change. So 
I announced I'm going to be a train driver. That's what I'm going to do next. And uh, lo and behold, the next week in our local paper, which we don't get anymore, but our local paper, there was an advert for London Underground for customer service assistance. Oh. So I thought, it's not a train driver, but it's London Underground. Let's have a go. So I started filling out the application online and I must have got to a certain point and my internet completely went, so I had no internet. So then I went to visit my parents who lived in Wales, which was where my granddad used to live when he retired. And mum and dad said to me, what are you doing? I said, well, I've still got to do this, in, this, this application. Yeah. I said, because I'm going to be a train driver. <laughs> I got through the interview stage for the, for the customer service and it, it was a natural progression, you know, mm-hmm. for then progressing to tube driver. But um, it was all thanks to my granddad, I think. Your sliding doors moment is great because I think there's lots of different things in it. There's that kind of gut feeling that you had to just make a big life decision. Some people don't have the guts to do it, especially like, you know, you were in your 40s. Some people think, oh, I can't make a career change. I'm cemented now forever. And actually, 40 is extremely young and you can start kind of the second part of your life. And I also think, you you know, you you came up with the internet not working. Some people would have given up. You you know, you, you really were committed to wanting that. And your first day as a tube driver was actually on the opening day of the Olympics in 2012. That was my sweat day, yes. <laughs> That's brilliant. And I bet like your granddad would love to see you now driving a train. I think it's it's a lovely, lovely full circle moment. Yeah, yeah. Well, thank you so much, both of you. Um it's been lovely to chat to you both and hear your thoughts, your theories, your journeys. And I'm so excited to gather together some of our TFL customers and people around London and hear their sliding doors moments. So yeah, thank you very much for joining me today. Thank you, Jenny. Thank you, Jenny. It's an absolute pleasure. Next up, we have Jan, whose moment really is something out of the movies. Thank you so much for joining me today, Jan. Do you want to tell me a little bit about who you are and what you do? Yes, Um, I'm living in um, southwest London. I've lived in lots of areas in London. Um, I'm not working in any offices anymore, so I can actually devote my time to writing, you know, short stories, sometimes children's stories. I've got the time to do it and painting, which I actually love. Um, I've got three grandchildren now, so all in different parts of the world. So um, that keeps me busy. I love that. And why did you want to come on today and share your sliding doors moment with our listeners? Well, I saw it. I always loved the film and I do believe in fate, coincidence, you know, manifesting. I believe in all this law of attraction, all of that. And because I've seen the film so many times, I don't know how many times (laughs) I've seen the film, but it always makes you look back at a point in your life and think, oh, if it had gone that way, I wonder what would have happened. And I, because of what happened to me, I kept thinking, I've always wanted to write this down. I've always wondered what would happen if I hadn't have got off that train that day. I love that you love the film. I think it's always great when we have people on that have kind of seen the film and love the theory. And yeah. so you have a really, really brilliant sliding doors moment. Do you want to explain <laughs> what your sliding doors moment is? Yes. Well, it was a long time ago. It was in 1973. And I had been in London for about six weeks, I think. I'd moved from the north to London and living in various places and The strange thing about the story, which I didn't put in the email, was that I had actually, before I met my, who was to be my husband, my uh, my ex-husband now, um, I had actually made a plan to leave London and go back to the north the night that I was going out 
because people oh. were inviting me to come out that night and I said it, there's not really any point because I'm going to go home anyway I don't like London it's too big it's too noisy I'm from a small yeah. town anyway of course everything changed because I met him that night which was about two or three weeks and then various things happened and I ended up living with him in um, a house share so and you met your husband on a night out that night I well yes I'd met him before yeah. the actual sliding doors moment I'd met him and so that sort of stopped me going home it made me hang okay. on and think well maybe yeah. I'll stay a bit longer and all the rest of it and yeah. then various things happened and we ended up living together in this house share outside London and we weren't there very long, you know, maybe five weeks. And we were all told we've got to get out. The landlord wants his place back. You've all got to go. So everyone panicked. Everyone went all different ways. And we only had enough money between us to have one night in a hotel in Ells Court. Oh my God. And we decided we were going to spend every last penny on this one night together because we had no idea what we were going to do. I'd yeah. already rang home and said, looks like I'm coming home. You know, it's all gone wrong. So we had this night in the hotel. And just really so happy. We didn't really have a care in the world as if it was going to be okay the next day. Yeah. And when I got up the next morning, I'd use the shower, which was like in, a, in, the, in the, the hallway. Um, and I was in the shower, came out with all my things. And the, my boyfriend has gone. He's completely disappeared. His bag had gone. Everything had gone. And I suppose in my mind at that time, I just thought, oh, he, I, it didn't occur to me that it, it, I just thought he's left. He's left me. He's yeah, gone. This is the end. So of I it. panicked. I asked the manager, did you see my boyfriend? He said, oh, he's gone. He's gone hours ago. You know, he's gone. So I got my bag together. I headed for Euston Station. I rang my mom from the payphone in Euston Station. Yeah. No mobile phones, no internet about the trains. Just looked when the next train was, bought my ticket. My mom said, best you come home. You've got nowhere to live. Yeah. So I got on the train really upset. And I'll always remember because um, I was sitting by the tunnel side where it's all black, you know, on the left-hand side. Yeah. And there was this lady. Well, I, I say she was an older lady. She was probably not really that old because I was only 20. <laughs> yeah, when we're young, everyone yeah. seems old. And um, I look. I was looking at this dark reflection of myself in the in the train window, and I was crying, and I was so heartbroken. I'm never going to see this boy again. You know, I've only just met him, and so she kept looking over sympathetically at me. And I don't know how long it was there, but the train was about to pull out, and I was going home. So. He yeah. didn't have my family address. I didn't have his family address. Wow. We'd never really thought to give each other Share that, details, you know? yeah. Um, so there was no way we would have been able to contact each other. So the train was about to pull out. And all of a sudden, it was literally minutes before the train pulled out, I hear this banging on the window and I'm looking at the reflection of myself and I see him on the platform <gasps> banging, banging on the window. Get off, get off. So I go, oh, grab the bag, jumped off the train. He's got his arms around me, you know, kissing me on the platform. And the, the lady sitting in the thing, she's crying, thinking it's all so <laughs> lovely to see it. And he tells me that he's found us a flat that we can have for six to 12 weeks through a friend of a friend. And we can go and stay in this flat in Twickenham. And after that, we don't know what we're going to do. But we're so happy that... That's what's amazing, really. We were so happy that we knew we had just six weeks. 
we didn't yeah. really care so so that was it I didn't really question anything I just rang my mom from the payphone said I'm not coming home and we went and lived in this little little place so my sort of query about it has been if the train had pulled out and he didn't find me I would have gone home I'd never have come back yeah. to London and I would have just thought well that was this boy that I met that I'll never forget and ended up marrying him and having two children <laughs> I mean, what an amazing, amazing story, because I think it is, it's a little bit like a film. It and is I think like a film, there's, yeah. there's so many things because, you know, he didn't know what time you were going to go no. to the station to get the train. No. As you say, no mobile phones, nothing. I mean, I can only envisage him running up and down the platform, looking in the <laughs> yeah. windows, trying to find you. And you're so right. I think this is like the minutes, it's minutes of timing that if that train had gone, yeah. do you just think you would have never seen him I again? Because I wouldn't have cut. Well, where would I have found him? And, you know, I yeah. mean, there was be no way. This is what I was thinking about because we can all keep track of each other now yeah but you know but back, back then, then I mean even when I met him I had to write my telephone number down on a piece of paper and hope that he was going to phone that, he that. Call. you know I mean oh, there was life all was so lovely then wasn't it wrong. you could lose the piece of paper you could all mm -hmm. these things there was far more chance of this all going wrong I think yeah, and it was definitely meant to be because, as you say, I think this moment all starts at the fact that you were going to move back to I was. back up north. Yes, I was. And then you met him. And it, what's so lovely as well is, is how carefree you both were. And yeah. you know, it's it's one of those things where, and your mum was probably like, okay, well, she's met a boy and now he's left yeah. to find. And you probably called and she was like, here we go again. Yeah. She's staying in London. Um, but what an amazing story. And do you, do, you, do you often think about the what if? Like what if I the do. train had gone? I do. I was thinking about it um, last night. And um, I tried. It's very hard to imagine that because if the train had gone, and then obviously I would have been upset and moping around and for weeks and weeks. And then I would have been trying to find a job. And I, I know the one thing I do know is I wouldn't have come back to London because that short experience before I met him was it was too it was too it was too big for me I just couldn't yeah. so I know I wouldn't have come back from London and so probably maybe I would have met someone back in my hometown I would have stopped but I would have missed out on so much not only two yeah. amazing children but um you know, just the whole experience of my of my life living in London, working in London, the friends I've yeah. met. You know, I mean, this I, I just can't imagine if I'd gone home. No, you no. you can't. It's not nice to think about. And I love this as well because you know, obviously, it's on a train, and Gwyneth got the tube, oh, yeah, she got the and tube. you know, all of that. It's it, very and there must be so doors, many people. Yeah, so many people that have had these moments. You know where they've been on a train and they've got off and I also love the fact that this lady was like so invested and you know whenever we've all had a little cry on a train sometime and you know there's people around you and she obviously just saw how happy you were when you saw yeah, him on the platform I know I know what an incredible moment of timing and fate of something that nearly didn't happen next I spoke to Lizzie where we delve into another great love story Lizzie tell me a little bit about yourself who you are and what you do uh, so I am, yeah, Lizzie, I uh, work at TfL, I'm a partnership manager there, um, I am also a mum to two children, Lola and Duke, and uh, I'm married to Gideon. So why did you want to come on today and share your sliding doors moment? Um, because I'm a bit of a hopeless romantic, um, because I think I've got a nice story, but it also shows... Um, 
that you've got to be part of it. Like I know a lot of people dating these days, you know, turn to apps and don't engage with people. And I think, you know, we're losing something and I've got children and I really want them to know that, you know, you can speak to whoever you want to. You never know what's going to happen if you um, walk up to someone or help someone in the street. You never know what's going to come from that situation. Um, yeah, so I thought it'd be nice to, to share that. Oh, I love that so much. You're totally right. We need more of that. In, in this day. Um, and then what do you believe in when it comes to the sliding doors theory itself? So the theory of, I mean, I think I know what you're going to say from saying you're a hopeless romantic, but <laughs> the theory of fate, timing, coincidence, everything happening for a reason. What are your thoughts? Um, I, I really believe, I used to have a ring that said life is what you make it. And I'm a big believer of, you know, you, you've got choices, you can go down different paths, you can engage with different people. So I'm yeah, a huge believer of that happening within your life. But equally, I know that there are some moments that I wouldn't have met other people if it hadn't have been for being, you know, being in that certain situation or knowing someone that I shouldn't have met. Um, mm -hmm. And yeah, equally meeting my husband. Um, it all comes down to, you, you know, if someone else was put in that position, their life wouldn't have turned out that way yeah. um so I'm a huge believer in you know things all kind of happening for a reason yeah I guess you're right it's like fate but then you've got to kind of be open to the fate so you've got to you know you can be put in the situation but then you've got to as you say talk to somebody or open yourself up um and that leads us into your brilliant sliding doors moment so do you want to explain your sliding doors moment so I was um, I was fresh out of uni and um, I was living in Essex, wanted a job in London to get some good money because I was planning on going travelling with uh, my best friend um, in like the following April that year. So I needed a high kind of high earning job and started um, applying for HR jobs and recruitment and then realised recruitment was quite cutthroat. So then I got mm -hmm. a bit of a soft HR job. And then it turned out the glamour of London led me to a basement office um, and within that, I was then in like a kind of box office with no windows. Um, so really isolating. But the one good thing was that I um, was able to listen to the radio whilst I was working. And um, my brother was like, oh, you've got to listen to XFM, which is now known as Radio X. Yeah. Um, because indie bands were, you know, of the moment of uh, 2007. Uh, so I started listening whilst I was working. And um, then I heard that you could kind of, you know, intern or like be kind of a... Uh, apprentice for a week there so I applied to be uh, a runner and got a job uh, that year it was XFM's 10th birthday and they were holding a whole host of um, gigs around London and award shows and kind of different wonderful you know videos and interviews with all these amazing uh, you know artists like Razorlight, um, Biffy Cairo, Kate Nash, Maccabees, The Kooks um, of the time I was yeah really big into my music yeah. um, so I got a job there uh, you know like evenings weekends going to gigs interviewing people for kind of vox pop for what songs they'd like to hear on the radio and um interviewing kind of bands here and there haphazardly and working on the guest lists or working on the the entry for the gigs themselves and um whilst having the job I'd also apply for the tickets to go to the gigs themselves because uh, that was yeah. open to the public um so I was going to all sorts of gigs with my friends having a great summer like earning London money it's fantastic and then an email came out to all staff saying you know you can no longer um you know apply for tickets and go to the gigs um and I was like oh man I've I'm actually due to go to um a Claxons gig in a few weeks so I'm a bit of a goody two-shoes and you know um, apply, apply by the rules <laughs> uh, so I said to my um, my manager I was like oh I've won these tickets um, would it be possible to give them to um, some friends of mine and I work the gig and he was like absolutely no problem 
uh, so off I went to work and it was a bit different because normally I'd just um, work on the door for the kind of the guest punters um, but that night I got to look after the VIP guest list um, and uh, whilst working I then got talking to um, the Claxons manager and I was like oh this is a bit interesting you know you're the Claxons manager you know I'm, I'm a bit interested in music I don't really know what I want to do kind of job wise let's get talking tell me all about the industry and he was really interesting he like managed you know everything that I wanted to hear basically at that age like the Libertines, the Verve, um, the Future Heads and Claxons like you know the people at the moment yeah. um, I wanted to get into the music industry what did I need to do um, he kept coming coming back and forth, checking the guest list. It was the one time he, I don't think he, like, printed it. Um, and I was like, oh, it's quite nice, but, you know, I really want to find out about the music industry, so chat, chat, chat. Um, and then the gig happened, and I saw him from afar at the gig and thought, oh, he's, he seems quite nice. Oh, I, like, I, wish, <laughs> I wish I could have uh, got his number. Um, I wish I oh, well. a bit more. Yeah, and like, but also wanting to be professional because yeah. I was in that environment, and it was the first time I spoke to someone in the music industry, really, apart from you know people at the radio. Um, and yeah, a gig happened. I saw him like on the side of the stage, and I was like, "Oh, that's pretty cool." Oh well, you know, gigs happened. I'll go and tidy up, you know, all the t-shirts. And um, what I didn't know was that um, Gideon actually left the gig. He started to walk to the station, and. He uh, since told me this, like, I think it was like five years into our relationship later. But he said he decided to turn around and said, like, what am I doing? Um, and came back to the venue, um, into the foyer where I was just packing up, ready to go. And he then struck up a conversation with me again and wanted to be cool. This sounds really cheesy, but I put his number in, um, like, a notebook file of facts, <laughs> uh, which I actually came across tidying up my place and my parents. I love that. Um, and uh, put his number in and uh, we agreed that we could go for a drink um, to talk about you know music and, and getting into that um, so all very exciting and then um, so that was like November and then I arranged a, a drink with him asked my brother in London like where he could recommend to go um, and then we met for a drink and lo and behold my brother aka one of the Mitchell brothers that's what my friends kind of call my two older brothers being like the protective boys that they are um walks in with his whole football team and you know comes across to to Gideon gives him the firm like brother handshake what are you doing with my sister oh my God. anyway um we then go on a few more dates and I mean, you know, he's he's a manager of a band, so he's busy. He's going, like, you know, UK tours with different people. But he's equally, you know, a male Londoner, data, who doesn't want to be just like me, too available. Uh, yeah. I've just come out of uni. I don't want anything serious. I'm going travelling, so I'm trying to play it cool. I've met a really cool guy in my eyes. Um, so I think, yeah, I'm you trying to play it cool. Kind of he's, like, trying yeah. to just, he's just busy and um, seeing how it goes. And we went on a few dates. And then... Nothing, you know, really came off. He would, like, blow me out because he had to do something at the last minute. Yeah, it's a dating game, isn't it? And I was like, do you know what? Fair enough. I don't need you. I'm going travelling. You know, I don't need a boyfriend. Um, see you later. And I remember it was my my birthday's the end of March and I was going travelling on April 10th and I was having a big kind of, you know, birthday party um, before I left. And I remember my mum going to me in Asda, the checkout, are you not going to invite this guy that you've been dating? And me going, uh, like, no, you know, he's not returned my calls. Like, I'm done with him. No thanks. Um, and and that, and that was it, you know. I got yeah. on a plane, went to India, went travelling with Rachel and was having a wonderful time. What I didn't know is 
when we were out traveling she'd got quite serious with a guy back home that she'd met I knew she'd met him but I didn't know it was going to be serious serious she spent nights on the phone talking to him and um it got to we were out for a night in Thailand after a few buckets and this is like June now um and she was like she's a real like hopeless romantic and she started like you know sowing the seeds of why don't you just call him you know what's the worst that can happen and I'm a bit like well we've got you know four or five months left of traveling what's the point anyway I make the phone call I'm drunk you know uh, I don't even know what the time difference is um and then it transpires to you know five months of me kind of continuing to travel around the world my dad paying for my phone bill um, whilst I talked to Gideon oh, <laughs> um, from I'll numerous countries in, like, amazing scenic points. And me saying, you know, I'm looking out to Wales in New Zealand. Um, uh, yeah, where are you? And, you know, he's in some studio apartment um, in North London. Um, yeah, so we carried on the conversation, which is obviously clearly a fantastic way to kind of start a relationship just through finding out about each other. Yeah. And then when I came back on, in October... We met on for a date, October tenth. He took me out, um, and we then continued dating from there. And then it turned out, you know, he proposed, and our wedding day um, was October tenth um, oh, in twenty fifteen. So kind that's of eight, eight years on from that first. Well, the, the kind of the, when I came back from travelling, yeah. And now we've been married far too long. Um, <laughs> And have two lovely children together. Um, all just from that that brief encounter of me being honest and saying, can I work? Um, and striking up a conversation with him. Oh, Lizzie, this is such a great story. And I think it actually has like quite a lot of sliding doors moments in it. Because I think the first one is the fact that, you know, your brother told you to listen to XFM in the first yeah. place. And, you know... Even the was, job. Yeah, I was going to say... The job. Like, I don't think many jobs like would let you listen to a radio yeah thinking about it and I think even the fact that then you decided to like apply for an internship and you got it like you know that's like a hard thing in itself um but yeah you're right I think your real turning point is the fact that if you'd have gone to that gig as a normal kind of you know punter in the audience you never never ever would have met Gideon but then you know as you say this moment of him also because if he'd had left the venue I mean maybe you would have asked somebody or something well I did then bump into him at like an XFM awards show a few months later where the Claxons you know were playing and other bands but I I would have only spoken to him because I knew him and that was again quite awkward because I would have met for a date and we hadn't um I you know he was just briefly walking through the venue I wouldn't have clocked him otherwise had I known him and I also think what's lovely about the story is is that you kind of tell it as that you know you first met and you were just like oh my gosh this manager he's like cool and I want to ask him questions but as the concert went on you're kind of you were like oh he's also just quite cute and like that and that's also lovely because he obviously felt the same you both were probably feeling the same about each other And, you know, if we spoke to him about it, he'd probably say a similar thing as like, you know, she was playing it cool, I was playing it cool, she was going travelling, I was da-da-da. But actually, then like, you know, fast forward of you being in Thailand, because I think you make a lovely point there that you can really get to know someone, you know, when you are miles away, speaking on the phone for hours and hours and hours, that's when you really build a relationship, which kind of meant that, you know, you, you got that deep connection before you started dating again. Yeah, absolutely. And and that's why, um, you know, I say to my friends when they're going on these dates or, you know, f- flicking through whatever app it might be, um, that you've got to you've got to meet them. You've got to see that spark. You've got to see that 
dimple or the look of their eyes or something about them and these things grow you know um yeah you can't be so dismissive and you've got to eke it out and find more about them um and yeah that's how love grows really isn't yeah. it yeah and you've got to ask for someone's number and write it down in a file of facts I know like I know. the good old days but it is true it's like if you have a connection ask them for their number because you never know where it's going to lead and do you ever think what would have happened if XFM hadn't have changed the rules and you just have gone to the Claxons concert that night with your friends yeah it's mad and especially because I've got children and they are his children mm-hmm. and I think you know obviously I could have met someone else and had different children but they they wouldn't be them and you know uh, their personalities and everything yeah it is, it is really mad when you kind of trace it back and you think what if one size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes nice dress uh, it's a it's a t-shirt until you tried it on same goes for your health care that's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. And now we have the wonderful Don an 86-year-old man from Derbyshire, who recalls a sliding doors moment he had which happened to him just after being an evacuee after the war. Thank you for coming on the podcast today, Don. And do you want to tell me a little bit about yourself, who you are and where you're from? I'm 86 now and had a long, varied career really, starting in the Second World War when I was an evacuee. And then I went back to be with my parents in London, West London, and uh, during that time, I wasn't sure what I was going to do. And I, I saw a film about the, the Overlanders, which is uh, Australian outback, and fancied a bit of uh, horse riding and whip cracking. And so I uh, went up to Australia House. I was only 15, not quite left school, and got all the papers for um, being a £10 pom. And I took them home. And my father said, we have not had you during all the world years. We only had you in a short time while you're in grammar school and I'm not prepared to let you go to the other side of the world. I said, wouldn't sign. And so from there, I had to have a bit of a rethink. But having spent the war years in the countryside, uh, near to Beaver Castle, as you know, mm-hmm. um, I wanted to get back and perhaps get onto a farm. And so I began writing to adverts in the Farmers Weekly and was, was called for um, an interview in uh, uh, northeast Derbyshire, right on the edge of the Chatsworth estate. Yeah. And I was given this job. And it was uh, so in September, just after I was 16, I went to live um, practically on the edge of Beely Moor. And, uh, and was just, it's like it's, the job was like 24 7 practically. I did that for uh, eight years uh, farming. Then I went, I'd had enough of uh, 
24-7. So I went into farm sales, selling uh, agricultural products and cattle feed and fertilise, that sort of thing. And eight years of that, and then uh, I saw that you could go from industry experience into teaching. So I uh, went and got my, the last remaining O-level that I needed. Mm-hmm. Remember those? Yes. And, uh, <laughs> GCSEs these and, days, uh, aren't they? I, I got that, and I got a place in the teacher training college at Sheffield, and I uh, did my three years there, and then went into teaching at uh, two different schools, second schools, and uh, finished my career uh, as a teacher, really, until, what, 2001. Amazing. That is such a such a varied life and career. And the sliding doors moment that we're going to talk about today is when you wanted to move to Australia when you were younger and the yes. fact that your dad wouldn't sign the papers. So do you want to explain to me kind of where were you in your life at this time? So you said you'd seen this film and you really wanted to go over there. So were you really kind of like, had you been abroad before? Were you just really kind of just wanting to explore the world and try a new kind of a new life somewhere? I think I wanted to be involved with with farms and cattle. Mm-hmm. And I wanted a bit of an adventure as well. This seemed to like a great opportunity to me. And uh, I was disappointed at first, but then I sort of took hold and went for the next opportunity that I had. But I wasn't, I've never regretted not going to Australia. Mm-hmm. I had a wonderful life since there and uh, been looked after in every way. And I do believe that... God himself has had his hand on my life to guide me. I met some lovely Christian people and eventually made a commitment myself when I was 19. That's amazing. And at the time, I guess, when, you know, your dad wouldn't sign the paper because he didn't want you to go, were you really upset? Did you, did you, could you deal with it in a kind of a mature way or did you, were you angry with the fact that he wouldn't let you go? I, I was never angry. Um, I do think that, Children brought up in my era learned to take what they were given. And mm-hmm. they said, well, that is it. That is life. And I'll take the best out of it that I can get. And that's what I believe I, I've been. I've done ever since. I've picked out the best parts and gone for them, been happy with them. And I'm very happy with where I am now. Yes. Definitely. And do you ever think about what life might have been like in Australia if you had it gone? Well, you know, I've seen part of the first... Uh, episode of 10 pound palms yes and it's so gritty i was immediately thankful that i hadn't gone although i did think that um people went out farming as such got a probably a better deal they'd have to work very very hard in harsh conditions but at least they'd be in the family yes and so uh that um but i've never really regretted not going Yeah, exactly, because you wouldn't have had the life you've got now, which is great. But it is really interesting to think back and think, what if my dad would have let me go? And you mentioned there about your faith um, and your religion. So in terms of everyday life, then, what do you believe in when it comes to the sliding doors theory? So, you know, fate, faith, coincidence, timing, what kind of the, what's the theory that you live by? I think I've believed, I've always believed in God. But I've never been really committed until I was in my late teens. Mm-hmm. And I do believe that he's um, watching out for us, what's best for us. And I, I live by that. Nothing's ever perfect, mm-hmm. uh, but there's some great times and great associations and friendships 
my marriage, my lovely family. Yeah. And, you know, I can only be thankful every day what uh, I believe the Lord has brought me to. Exactly. And I think when we look back at these moments that did or didn't happen, I think, you know, we don't even want to take it there sometimes because we think like, I wouldn't have my family, you wouldn't met your wife, you wouldn't have had your children, your grandchildren. Um, and do you kind of really like to look back and think about these specific moments that shaped your life? Because I think you've had so many. Is it is it interesting when you really pinpoint the ones that shaped who you are and where you are today? My life story in three different parts. As a Learned to be a country boy, you know, coming out of the city in the wartime, and then being um, a post-war uh, grammar school student, and then, of course, coming to Derbyshire and my life changing again. And I'm yeah. just thankful for all of that and the guidance I've had along the way and the people and lovely friendships that I have, I still have uh, these days. So it's, there's no regrets. Mm-hmm. But I couldn't see how it could have been very different for me. And you did also live in London, didn't you, at a time I in did, your life? Yes. And you got and you were very much kind of on the underground and like got the underground a lot when you were younger. Oh yes, I made the best of that. But I used to like to go up to museums quite a lot, up to South Kent. And uh, but I, I've you've seen that I used to play around on the underground to get a ticket to the next town, next station, and go right over London and come back and get off of that station again. Yeah. I was never caught by the ticket inspectors, which, <laughs> which was a good job. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's great. Yeah, I feel like back in the day, people had a lot of fun on the underground because oh, it's such yes. an, I mean, it's an ecosystem that just was like no other. Yes, it is. And running, and I remember the very first time uh, we came out at Westminster, just as Big Ben struck 12. Oh. Just a marvellous moment from... Who had spent most of his life in, in the country, you know? Yeah. So that was quite something, yeah. Oh, it's still amazing when you walk out of Westminster because it's just there in front of That's you. That's right. This is such a great sliding doors decision. As for Don, his life will be so different now if his dad hadn't have said no. Next up, we have Simi, who is also a fan of the film. So, Simi, do you want to start by telling me a bit about yourself, who you are, where you're from and what you do? Absolutely. So my name's Simi. Uh, I live in Ireland at the moment with my husband and my two kids, one dog and one cat. My husband is Irish. His family are Irish, but he was born in London, as was I. Uh, But we've lived here for just over six years now. So my kids have sort of done half their life here and and half back in the UK. Um, And I am an events planner, events organiser. And I work mostly from home, but with quite a lot of travel back to London. Um, My husband's a soft designer he works from home um, and we live sort of five minutes from the beach so it's uh, yeah it's it's a lovely place to bring up kids and and to enjoy after work and at the weekends amazing I, I'm already moving there in my mind <laughs> um so before we go on to talking about your slanders moment what made you want to share it with our listeners uh two reasons actually one I love the film um and I have told this story to so many people uh, over the years because it just it amuses me quite a lot. And I ref- I've always referred to it as, as our sliding doors moment oh. without really thinking about why. And, and of course, then one day I had to explain to the kids why. So they've now seen the film and uh, very mm-hmm. much enjoyed it. Um, but also I used to work for London Underground and Transport for London. Um, so the fact that you're partnering with them for this particular episode appealed to me uh, just because it sort of touches back on on sort of something in my past which is is really nice as well that's so interesting and it's so nice that 
you know, we've brought both of these things together to you and it has such a lovely match for, for your love of the film and what you used to do. So that's so great. Um, what do you believe in when it comes to the sliding doors theory? So the theory that I love that you're a fan of the film, but like really looking at the theory of coincidence, timing, fate, what, what are your beliefs? Absolutely. I, I've always been, even before the film came out, I've always been uh, a fan of, you know, if I didn't choose this particular um, job to go into, you know, where would my path have taken me and which mm. bits of my life that I've, I have lived, would I also have lived in a different if I'd chosen a different yeah. path, if I'd had a slightly different existence, you know, would I have ended up moving to different parts of London at the same sort of times that I did? Would I have gone to the same university? Would I, you know, the friends that I've got now, would they have come into my life in a different way, potentially? Yeah. And I guess when you look at the film as well, there are some things that, you know, it brings up that are just meant to be, that are meant to happen. And I think you're right. I think sometimes it's the journey to get somewhere might be different, but the destination and the people are meant to meet, maybe it is all meant to be. So that's brilliant. Um, so let's take it to your sliding doors moment then. Explain what your sliding doors moment is and how it changed your life. Okay, so in 2004, uh, I was working with a girl called Sarah. Her boyfriend at the time, Dave, is a very good friend of my now husband. And I, Brian, my husband and I hadn't met at this point. Um, Sarah announced that she was moving to Australia mm -hmm. and her boyfriend, Dave, was going to be moving with her. Um, so as is typical of, you know, single 20-something-year-olds or coupled up 20-something-year-olds, she had several leaving dues. She had yeah, a work so leaving many dude. She had a pub leaving <laughs> dude, a quiz team leaving dude. You know, it, was, it just went on and on. So she yeah. had at least six leaving dues. <sighs> and between us, Brian and I went to all of them. But until the very last one, which was the night before she actually flew to Australia, we didn't go to the same one at the same time. Really? There were a couple that we both wow. went to, but at different times of the day. Okay. He went to the paintballing on, on the Saturday afternoon and I went to the pub on the Saturday evening that okay. followed the paintballing. Um, so we never, we, you know, our paths hadn't crossed up until that point. And what's really strange is that that evening I'd gone home from work with my flatmate who was also coming out for the meal and another friend of ours who'd come back to get ready at our flat. And I was sort of not really in the mood for it. It was a Wednesday night. I was just, oh, I don't know whether I'd be bothered to go out. And you'd been to, to so many already. Uh, yeah, exactly. And and I was like, oh, it's just, you know, I could, I could quite happily, it's hot. It was the middle of August. Actually, it was a Tuesday night. Sorry, Tuesday night. It's the middle of August. It's hot. It's muggy. I could just sit on the balcony and have a glass of wine instead. And then mm -hmm. my flatmate and my friend both said, no, come on, come on, we'll go. So, oh, okay, then. So we got to the restaurant a bit late and I looked down the table and I sort of thought, oh, there's Sarah's boyfriend, Dave's friends down that end. I'll sit up this end with with the work crowd. Um, mm -hmm. I, I've sort of met all of them. I'm not terribly interested in them, as if they were all very nice, but I wanted to sit with my friends. And I didn't think anything of it. And I didn't see Brian sitting down there at all. So I sat down and we had a nice meal and we all, you know, had a good few drinks. And then towards the end of the meal, I heard this laugh and I thought, oh, who was that? And I sort of peered down the, the row and he was sitting on the same side as me. And I thought, oh, there is somebody down there that I haven't met before. And but his laugh just really 
something captured in my, you know, captured my attention. Um, And then we were all leaving the the restaurant to go to a pub and it was raining. And as we went down the stairs, I saw Brian give his coat to one of the girls who I knew a bit, but didn't know terribly well. And I thought, oh, well, that's typical. They're they're obviously, you know, a couple and didn't think anything more of it. We walked to the pub. I ended up with a soaking wet, very see-through top. (laughs) <laughs> went up to the bar and uh, <laughs> ordered a drink. Brian happened to be standing next to me at the bar. Apparently, my very see-through top caught his attention because I got a very big <laughs> smile. <laughs> and we started talking. And it turned out that he wasn't, in fact, going out with this other girl, Kate. He'd just been gentlemanly and given her his coat. Um, yeah. And so we started talking and we have been together ever since. And that was 19 years ago. But if we hadn't have met that night, it would never have happened. It's an amazing moment because I think there are so many things that you've said that I've picked up on. I think the first one is, is that it was the last chance for you two to meet on that leaving do because your friends were going off to the other side of the world and there was no more leaving do's, no more parties. That's one thing. The second thing is, is that you didn't really want to go that night. So if he'd never have gone, you never would have met him. But then also the fact that he laughed at the time that he did, because was it the laugh that kind of really caught your attention? Yeah, absolutely it was. If I hadn't have heard that laugh, I probably wouldn't have clocked that he was there at all and then may not have gone onto onto the pub even afterwards. You know, it just, that laugh, I heard it. And I I honestly think that was the first moment that I started to, to fall for him. And then when you did end up speaking in the pub, did you know kind of like that night that he was the one for you? Yeah, absolutely. In fact, I said to my flatmate who was incredibly drunk and just wanted to go to bed, we should invite some of the some of them back with us, you know, to carry on drinking after the pub closes. And she sort of very drunkenly said, oh, all right then. And I firmly by this point had my sights set on Brian to the point that everybody else knew it except for him bless him obviously <laughs> and towards the end of the evening he stood up and put his coat on as if he was going to go home and one of my friends looked at him and went sit down you've pulled you, you you're not going anywhere <laughs> yeah, he said went, oh okay then and sat back down and yeah that that was it so we got together that night and I would say within three weeks I knew that we were going to get married and I don't know that he believes as much as I do that mm-hmm. if we'd met earlier it may not have been you know it just may not have worked as well yeah. I firmly believe that, that that was the night we were we were supposed to meet. So you believe it really was the right place at the right time? Yeah, definitely. Oh, what an amazing story. And to ask you the question that I don't want to ask, but I'm going to ask it, is what if you'd not have gone to the dinner? What was <gasps> if you had sat on your balcony, had a hot, you know, it was a hot, had a cold glass of wine. As I said, your friends had gone, so you maybe never would have met. What, what do you ever think about what if? Absolutely. Absolutely. I think I'd probably still be sitting on that balcony on my own drinking a glass of wine. <laughs> yeah, oh. I, I can't I just can't imagine how different my life would have been. Totally, totally strange, you know. And and in fact, funnily enough, the flatmate that I was living with at the time does still live in London. Um 
and you know i just i just think i would be probably still living with her and and it it would be so different oh simi what a brilliant brilliant sliding doors moment um i think it all gives us a bit of a bit of a belief that it can happen and like you never know who's laughing down the other end of the table so always take notice absolutely absolutely yeah Next up, we have Rob, who works as a station supervisor for the Tube and has worked for TFL for 25 years. He shares his thoughts on the theory and a life-changing moment in his life. What do you believe in then? So when it comes to the sliding doors theory, so, you know, getting the train, missing the train, the what-if moments, do you believe it's fate, timing, coincidence? What are your beliefs? Well, um, I'm not a big believer in fate, but um, you kind of, when I think back, uh, there, there are those moments all the time. They happen every day for so many people in so many ways. Where if you make one decision, it changes everything. So I, I you know, I, I come round more to the theory that some things are meant to happen, but maybe it would be a different, a more long and winding road to to reach those moments, uh, or a different way. And who knows if they would happen or if they would happen differently. So. Yeah, very yeah. true. And I'm guessing, you know, working at stations for the underground, there must be a million sliding doors moments that happen every day on the tube. Well, yeah, every time the door opens on the train, of course. Yeah, definitely. And yours is definitely kind of mixture of the good and the bad. Out of a bad situation, something good happens. So do you want to explain um, what your sliding doors moment is? Uh, yeah, uh, it was in uh, 1995. So it was before the sliding doors was uh, written or well, maybe while it was being written who knows um but um i was playing in a charity football match uh for uh, it was a soccer six tournament because uh, i was playing with uh in a blurs team I, I used to be in a band and we used to go to the good mixer on a sunday morning ah. and um lots of people from the music industry would meet there and then we'd go and play football in regent's park and um and one of was one of the people there was uh, Damon from Blur. He loves his football, mm-hmm. and um, he asked me to play in goal for them, uh, of his Blur team at this tournament. It was the first of the Soccer Six tournaments, and I played in goal. And then I injured my back in the first game. I had to go. It just got incredibly painful after the game, and um, I had to go to the hospital. And the nearest one was Whitechapel, so we went to the hospital, and uh, they. Did lots of tests, uh, and they came to the uh, conclusion that I had broke some bones in my back, and that my spine had slipped off my pelvis, and oh my um, uh, and, and that I was uh, you know, had a problem, a big problem. Uh, but then, you know, when you're expecting at that point to be in the hospital, they were like, "No, go home, get some painkillers and anti-inflammatories. Go home, come back to fracture clinic tomorrow." And uh, I was a bit like. Um, surely you've just told me I broke my back. Maybe I should still be here. Yeah. They were like, no, no, you come back tomorrow. So I, I was a bit conflicted. So then I went home. But then it got worse and worse and worse all night. Uh, taking Took all the drugs they gave me, uh, but it didn't help. And uh, I got more and more hypersensitive so I could feel everything. So all the clothes I wore, the hair on my head was driving me mm. mad. So I... I I couldn't sleep, I couldn't lie down, I couldn't sit, I couldn't stand. It was just agony in every way. Just thought I'll just tough it out and I'll go back to practice clinic tomorrow. But then Shandy was still around, so he came up and he was like, 
came in and he was like, what on earth are you doing? You know, explained to him what's going on. He was like, well, we're going to have to go to the hospital. I have to take you to the hospital. And um, so he said, to get some clothes on, I'll, I'll, you know, I'll call a cab. So he called a cab and the guy said, he turned to me and he said, well, where do you want to go? Which hospital do you want to go to? And um, at the time, we, I lived in Kentish Town. And, I was going to um, ask, where did you live? What was your nearest yeah. hospital? So I lived in Kentish Town, but the football was, that had taken place was at Mile End Stadium, so mm-hmm. on, the, on the East End. And um, and it was Whitechapel Hospital that I'd gone to. But the nearest hospital from where I lived was was um, the Whittington Hospital, which is up yeah. the road in Archway, so five minutes drive. So it would have been sensible to go there, really. <laughs> so I was like, well, let's go to Whitechapel. And then that was... That was the moment, that moment there when he said, where do you want to go? And I could have gone the easy way, five minutes, get yeah. some painkillers. And, you know, and I was like, no, we're going to do the half hour journey. And what time um, was this that you went there? Oh, it would have been late at night. Okay. Yeah. So the same day. Yeah, the same, yeah. That, the night after. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, I was in, I went back and they got me there. And, and yeah, I was in there for seven weeks. Wow. Uh, and what happened in those seven weeks that kind of changed your life? Well, uh, oh, they didn't want to do anything in the beginning. and um, But then in the end, they fused it. So they fused my spine to my pelvis. Uh, so I had to learn. Like, and I lost the use of my foot for a while and all that kind of stuff. But I met uh, someone there who, who helped me both when I was there and uh, afterwards. And um, yeah, and I. Uh, they became, in the end, like two years later, uh, they became my, my wife. And, yeah, and that, that was where we met. So if I hadn't decided to go to the White Chapel, we would never have met. And, yeah, uh, and how long yeah. have you been married for now? 25 years now. Amazing. Yeah. I mean, that's so amazing because I think, as you say, there's a few pinpoints we can pick out of this story. I think, you know, I think the first is the fact that you kind of broke your back in the first place which is an awful yeah. thing to happen yeah. um but then yeah that moment in the taxi when you could have gone either way because I guess once you went into hospital you were then there for seven weeks so if you'd oh, gone yeah, yeah. to the Whittington you would not have left no but that's brilliant and do you remember the first time you met your wife like was it love at first sight or did it was it something that, that oh, kind of grew over time I think it was it grew over time mm. it was you know there was a definite very much a lot of traction yeah. Uh, very much. And uh, yeah, and it grew over time. And then the more time, you know, we spent uh, around each other, like satellites, yeah. I suppose. Yeah. Um, yeah, it grew and yeah, it's still, still going strong. I mean, my, our kids wouldn't even exist. Imagine, exactly. Your kids you know? wouldn't exist. And yeah. it's almost a bit of a, like a moment from a film because, you know, we, mm. you know, as you say, you were in hospital for such a long time. And then it's like, well, come on, give me something universal. I'm going to spend all the time in hospital. I've got to make something out of it. I, I don't know. I don't like to think what would have happened if I hadn't gone there. You know, but yeah, I, always, I, mean, I always, like what you just said, I always like to try and think that, of course, almost certainly the worst thing that's ever happened to me uh came the best thing you know so yeah. i always try and think I, I used to think of it purely in those terms that you know and i would tell the story sometimes to people who are really low i'd say look sometimes the, the worst thing that you could possibly imagine that in where you are now this might be happening actually when you think about it in the future it might turn out to be the best thing that have happened because it changes the way you look at things or you might meet somebody or whatever so sometimes the worst things can be the best things you know in the long run and, uh, so true. And um, 
and that, that kind of feeds back into that everything happens for a reason, which I've heard talked about before. It's hard because I think, you know, I don't think we can believe everything in our lives happens for a reason because there's good and bad things. However, yeah. I love yeah. what you said. I think, you know, it's it's learning that lesson that like out of the hardest times and things that are really, really tough to go through, there can be these little shimmers of light that happen. And to still be married 25 years later. And also, you know, what I really love about this moment is, is that, you know, you're not saying that you met in the hospital and like fireworks started and that was it and you two were together. You know, the love grew and you met, you managed to spend a lot of time together. And, you know, if you'd just met her for a split second and you'd Mm. been into the hospital and then left like that evening and gone home, you may not have seen her, but the fact that you had to be there for seven weeks and be there for such a long time is what made your relationship blossom yeah yeah last up we have ash who recalls so many little moments that happened to her in her life that led her to where she is today and it's a great story to wrap up what has been a brilliant episode of stories and moments hi jenny thanks for having me i am ash bb i work in the events team the corporate events team at tfl i've uh, been working at tfl for a number of years now And um, I I really love working there. And why did you want to share your moment with us today? You know, I think life is full of a combination of fate and coincidences and maybe just things that happen. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I don't think necessarily things happen by chance all the time. Um, And... Yeah, so I just wanted to share my moment. I feel like I've had a lot of these throughout my life, but like mm-hmm. maybe some, definitely some parts when it's been very significant, where I think mm-hmm. it's really, really obvious. And, you know, I just don't think it can be put down to just coincidence. I just, it feels like, you know, the world is energy, right? And the energy yeah. of this feels more than just coincidence and timing. You do often wonder what if this didn't happen? Like literally, where would I be? Mm -hmm. You know? We do all day. And you're right. I think there are some things that can be put down to coincidence, but some things just feel like a higher power. They just feel different. So do you want to go and explain, Ash, your sliding doors moment? Because it's a really good one. And I love, I feel like it has a lot of different facets to it. So tell us all about your sliding doors moment. So I lived in Worcester in my late teens. um, And I had this housemate who I chose randomly from a newspaper advert back then. We didn't have the internet. Oh, back in the day, yeah. Like, I'm making it sound like I'm an old lady. I'm really not. No, I remember (laughs) circling the newspaper. (laughs) Yeah. And so I had this Irish housemate and it was like so random. Like he worked with agriculture or something. It was just so weird. Um, And we were housemates for like a year or two years. We were mates. And I decided I was sick of Worcester. And I just wanted to move. So I decided to move to Sheffield. It was so random. I literally closed my eyes and put my finger on the map. That's how really? I did it. <laughs> Love it. Yeah. And um, and then he decided, oh, actually, I've had enough of England. I'm going back home to Ireland. So and this will all make sense. So when I was in Sheffield, I was only in Sheffield for six months. But mm-hmm. during that time, I managed to get signed up with an agency to do temp work. And I was working at BT doing 192 directory inquiries. Do you remember? Oh my gosh, I remember that. Yes. Yes. And this this is all going to make sense in a moment. So anyway, for my 21st birthday, I had never been out of the country. I thought, I'm going to go to Ireland to see my mate. 
right? So your old housemate. Yeah, exactly. My yeah. old housemate. And like, so there was no flying because that was way too expensive back then. So I took the coach and the Irish ferries and off to off to Dublin I went to go meet my mate for for the weekend. Um Brilliant. and on my way there on the coach, like the coach makes pit stops and I would, you know, get off, stretch my legs and I was started chatting to this girl. Her name was Megan, if I remember correctly, and she was from New Zealand. Um mm-hmm. and we just like we clicked and we instantly became mates. As it turned out, there was nobody sat next to us. So she said, why don't you come sit next to me? I was like, oh, okay, yeah. So, like, we just chatted for the rest of our trip. Um, and when we left each other at the, um, the the ferry port, we exchanged details. So back then it was phone numbers and addresses, and we actually wrote letters to each other. Um, ah. and, yeah, and we would even call each other. So I would call her house and her housemate would answer and I'd be like hey it's Megan there I'd like to start having a chat with him like I knew him you know so anyway after my weekend in uh, in in Navin in County Meath I came back to yeah. Sheffield and I decided I'm moving to Ireland that's it I found a really like, yeah, like honestly it was and I, I called my mate up to tell him and he was like I knew you were gonna say that I just knew it <laughs> <laughs> so I found an Irish newspaper that had like jobs in it and I couldn't find anything then in a local paper in Sheffield I saw an advert from a company based in Dublin that were looking for BT trained directory inquiry people no wow yes Yes, right that's a moment that's a moment can't tell me that's a coincidence please no meant to be yeah so you know what I just I called them up I did a telephone interview and I got the job. And Amazing. That week when I got that job, I got a letter from Megan saying, oh, I'm really, really sorry. I've had to go back to New Zealand because I think there had been a death in her family. And I was like, oh, man, what a shame. Right? Because she, she would have been the only person I knew in Dublin. And yeah. then I thought, oh, no, I've got to find somewhere to live. So I'd already spoken to her housemate, right? So I just called him up. And I was like, yeah, <gasps> I hear Megan's gone do you want a housemate can I move in he was like yeah sure why not come (laughs) that's amazing do you know what and I know you're going to explain more to the story but already what's so great is 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 that there were just a few little things that happened to you that made that move possible but also just work for you which must have just felt like it was the right thing to do right I mean come on like what are the chances I didn't even have to make an effort like the dude, I didn't even know him. He even came to the port, ferry port station to pick me up on his Oh my gosh, yeah. that's amazing. Right? I mean, like, so, and then during my time in Dublin, I was there for a few years. And again, it's about like being in the right place at the right time and meeting people. Mm-hmm. So I always had a day job. I actually worked at Guinness for a while. Um, yeah. yeah, as you do when you live in when you live in Ireland. You know what I mean? Like it'd be. <laughs> um, I but I also worked in bars, and I met these two American girls from Pennsylvania. They had already been in Ireland for three months. This they had two weeks left, and that's when I met them, and we became instant friends. Mm-hmm. Right. So we were hanging out almost every day until they left for America. And then when they left, they sent us a, me and my friend an invite. They were like, why don't you why don't you come visit us in Pennsylvania? So we thought, yeah, you know what? Let's let's go do that. Let's go visit them for a few weeks the next year. 
and again, so they they showed us around the place yeah. and they took us to New York City for one night, for one night only. Yeah, and the city that never sleeps. Listen, I was, I don't know if you've ever been, and I don't know if yes. you've ever been to Jersey, but I was on the coach on the Jersey Turnpike heading towards Manhattan and I saw that skyline and I fell in love. Yeah. And literally a year later, I moved there. Wow. Like, you know, and if it wasn't, if it wasn't for meeting those two girls, I probably would never never have have ended up. And how did living in New York change your life? I mean, also, I love the fact that you'd never said you'd never been out of the country. You then went to Dublin, which was on a coach. So this was obviously maybe the first time you've been on an aeroplane. Basically. Wow. And did New York change a lot of things for you? Because you lived there, was it for five years? I was there for five years. I was there from 25 to 30. And I think it has ultimately, absolutely shaped me to be who I am today. Yeah. The opportunities that it gave me, the people that it put in my path. So many of these people are my best friends to this day. And I see them almost on a yearly basis, nearly all of them. I love this. And I talk about this a lot on the podcast is is that I think sometimes we think about sliding doors moments of being this one big bang moment. And actually what is so great about yours is ultimately we've ended with you being in New York, but it started way before of all these small little coincidences, pinpoint moments of being in the right place at the right time. And if we really take it back as well to, you know, when you're going on the coach to Dublin, Um, what I really love is that you were open to speaking to people. So you were open to speaking to this Megan girl on the coach because you could have easily just, you know, head down, not speaking. And it really shows that you never know who you're going to meet and where that connection is going to lead you to. And the best bit of the whole thing is the fact that as you were moving over there, you know, she wasn't and this whole place came out. And that's, you know, so many things have had to happen in her life for that to work out for you. And that's, it really blows your mind when you think about it. Like, Every little thing. These people in our lives are what make our lives so special. And, you know, when you really, really look back, you can you can really think like there could have been chances that we didn't meet. And do you do you ever think about, you know, the what if? So do you ever think about the what if you hadn't have, you know, taken that job and if you hadn't have met your first housemate who was Irish to go over to Ireland in the first place, if you'd not have met Megan on the coach, would you have you know, that housemate. Do you think about the what ifs because these people are so important to you? What if you'd not have met them? Absolutely. I mean, that Irish housemate, by the way, I'm still in touch with him. Um, Oh, great. (laughs) um, Because ultimately, the reason why this happened was because I was unhappy in Worcester. So sometimes when something doesn't feel good, it doesn't mean that nothing good cannot come come out of it. So I Mm -hmm. do think about, like, what if I didn't live in Worcester, Jenny? What if I had moved to London, I know I would have been happy in London, then all of this would not have happened because I would have been happy. I would not have had a need to like move and 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 travel. Yeah. And this is the thing. And you know, you know how we were talking about fate and coincidence and listen, all these things are well and good, but it's, it's you also, right? Mm -hmm. Like you said, if I was somebody who didn't talk to people, where would I be today? Yeah. You know, like, so you kind of, fate is one thing, but you also have to make certain things happen in your life, you know? You do. So if you want opportunities, you can't just sit back on the couch 
and watch Love Island and think it's going to fall into your lap. It's not, right? You've got to yeah. make it happen. <laughs> yeah. And it might not happen in that specific moment. That's the other thing. Like you might meet someone and then two months down the line, something happens. But as you say, you've got to be open to it. Um, oh, Ash, I've loved this moment. It's amazing. And I think it's so, so great of kind of a really good example of how little things that have happened in your life have kind of led you to find your people. And I can't wait to hear kind of the more sliding doors moments you're going to have in your life as it goes on. I'm going to, I'm going to start emailing you with everything now. (laughs) Yes. Amazing. We can have you on all the time. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Sliding Doors. If you've enjoyed our chat and found it inspiring, I would love it if you could rate, review, share, and subscribe. Thank you so much. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com.